0: all can go ahead and grab a seat hey it's good to be back here right after conference hey uh, who all was at conference give me a shout Hey, if you weren't there, it was the two best nights of our year so far. It was a great time, and uh, it was great for us because, man, there's a lot of planning that went into it. And uh, we actually, me and my wife and my kids actually got to go on vacation right before conference. And we were only able to do that because we have an awesome team here uh, with a lot of people, with Logan and Coco and JC. So I'm really thankful for them. Uh, But, me and my family got to go to uh, South Carolina for our vacation, and uh, my family's not big beach people, we're not fans of the sand, uh, and for whatever reason, so uh, we had an opportunity to go see some family in South Carolina, and we took it, Uh, and we went to go see some family, and we also got to go see the beach, uh, and when we went to see the beach, we like got in like middle of the day one day, and we got some little kids. So we were like, "Man, we'll we'll like get in, get settled to the Airbnb, the, place, the little condo that we're staying at, and then uh, you know what? We'll like get dinner figured out. We'll hit the beach the next day. And like the more like unpacking stuff we did, we we're like, we got to go show them the beach right away, right? Like we're close to the beach. You can't be close to the beach and not go see it. So we like it's like a really short walk. So we like walked across the street and went to the beach. And uh, when, when we get to the beach, it was one of those where like it, there, there's houses and then there's like these little enclaves where you can park and, and, and walk across this little boardwalk and get to the beach. And as we get there, it was so cool to see our kids that had never seen the beach before, like their understanding of the beach is like at Table Rock, which there's some beaches there, but they're not the same. And they opened up and, you know, there's just as far as the eye can see, there's sand. And then as far as the eye can see, there's water. And it's one of those where like, all my kids were just like what in the world is going on and my 1 year old does that when he looks at anything so he was just in awe but you know i've got a 3 year old and a 5 year old and they were just they were just like in in an incredible spot and we were like you know they're just going to come look at it so like thatch our oldest was wearing like sweatpants and like a sweat like a like a t-shirt and our little our middle child was wearing like sweat shorts and like a sweatshirt and we were like we'll just go see the beach and leave and that shows how smart we are. Um, It took all of about five minutes for our kids to be soaked. And they're doing the thing that kids do where they're like, they're used to table rock where like water comes in every time a boat comes by, when the wake comes by. And they were just seeing these waves come in and they're running, against them. oh no, it's coming back. And they're running back and they're having a good time. And it took all of about two minutes for Thatch to come out and start slapping waves and like trying to see if he can win against the fight. And all of our kids are getting knocked over. Like we were just a mess, we're all soaking wet, but it was like such a good time. And uh, we ended up going back pretty much every day that we were there for a while in the morning, and it was such a good time to be there. Uh, and when we came, we always had like the, the the little wagon, and it was stocked to the gills with like towels. Lunch, a cooler, um, an umbrella, chairs. I mean, we were that classic family. We're like, my wife's holding two kids. One's walking behind, complaining. I've got the whole deal, and you know, we're, we're just chucking along. We're a mess. It's it's. So we get there. We got we got towels laid out. We got the umbrella that I'm struggling to put in the sand because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a, not a beach person. And uh, we, we end up getting all of it set up. We have you know this little little deal. We got. umbrella got the towels got everything laid out there and after we spent some time on the beach I had it had been a long time since I'd gone to the ocean and I kind of forgot some of the little things about going to the beach and um, one of the things is that like if you're standing straight onto the beach the waves don't just come like straight at you like they don't come horizontal to the beach they come at a little bit of, of an angle right they come in a little bit of an angle. So I'm out there playing with my older boys and and we're playing, you know, we're just messing with the waves and there were some little boogie boards so we're playing with that. And where we had all of our stuff set up, we would end up like, 50 feet down the beach, and we're like, oh, let, all right, guys, let's, let's like, come back. Let's go this way, and, and we'd play for a little while, and we'd play for a little while, and the waves would kind of push us out a little bit in a different direction, and we'd play for a little while, and if I wasn't careful, I'd look over, my wife was going, hey, you're, you're really far away. You need to come back, and at one point when we are walking back, my three-year-old goes, why does our stuff keep moving, <laughs> right? And, and, and we kind of had to learn one of those things with the beach is that like, we're not moving, or the, our stuff isn't moving, we're moving, The the waves are pushing us in a direction and we have to walk back to where we are. And it's this idea of drifting. It's this idea of kind of moving slowly over time in a direction that maybe you didn't intend to go. And and drifting happens to the unaware. And drifting happens to those that aren't just paying attention. And it happens slowly. Um, That's the thing with drifting. It's not like one wave hit me and I was 60 yards away. One wave hit me and I was a foot away. One wave hit me, and I was another foot away. And before you know it, after about five minutes, I was 60 yards away. And I think sometimes, some of us end up looking back at where we are in relation to God, and we go, man, God, how'd you get so far away? And we think, God, I I haven't been doing anything different. Everything's been the same for me. How'd you get all the way over there? and we're unaware of our surroundings so much that we have drifted and we don't realize where we are in relation to God. So tonight, we're talking about a verse that our team has kind of adopted as our theme verse, and it talks about being steadfast and immovable, and some of you guys got those shirts at the conference that say SI on the front, steadfast and immovable on the back, because what we're going to talk about tonight, if I would title it anything, steadfast and immovable, but underneath that, I would put how to stop the drift, how to stop the drift, and the verse that we're in tonight is First Corinthians 15, 58. And as as we start talking tonight, I want you to kind of identify maybe what some of those winds are in your life. Not winds like winds and losses, but winds like winds that blow things around. What some of the waves are in your life. Because some waves hit you really hard. One of my favorite things when we were up like eating lunch with my family, uh, this couple came in and there was this guy that was like kind of the big dude, and he came in and he like got their stuff set up and he came out and he like bowed up his chest wave hit him, and you could tell he was like, babe, didn't move, check it out. And then I watched him, and he was doing the same thing my five-year-old did, and I was having a time lapse. He was slapping the wave, and I'm watching him, and I'm like, bro, I don't think you're gonna win. Like, you're a big dude, you would win against me, but those waves are not going to let you win. And I think sometimes the, the wind and the waves do what happened to me and my family, and sometimes those winds and waves do what happened to that guy where you come up and you bow up your chest, and things are gonna hit you regardless and sometimes it's going to happen what happened to my kids, where they turn their back for a minute and they go, hey, Dad, and they get hit in the back with one. And it rocks their world, and their whole head gets wet, and they're worried about rolling underneath the sand when the tide comes back out. Wind and waves happen so many different styles. A drift happens all at once, and it happens over time. What are some of the winds and the waves that you have in your life? I think about the things that happen Slowly the disappointment that seeps in, that starts to change the way that you view people and view relationships, and you start to have a negative view of the things around you, and you say, God, if you could really let that relationship go sour, are you really good? Maybe you're lonely, and nobody really knows you're lonely because you're surrounded by lots of people, but that's a wave that keeps hitting you, and keeps hitting you, and you'd say, God, if, if you're really real and you're really who you say you are, why is it that there's no one around me that loves me like I think I should be loved? Maybe you have some old pain, some old trauma, some things that are hanging on that just hurt, that just feel like a constant wave, a constant wind, something that's pushing you. Maybe it's a callousness towards the things of God or people. What about those big things, those big waves that push, those new pains, those new hurts? Death, sickness, Maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe there's some things that you've been chasing after that there's some wind and waves involved with that, and you didn't know it was going to take you in that direction. Maybe you just want to be successful in life, and you didn't know what it was going to take would push you and drift you where you, where you didn't know you were going to go. Maybe you're just desiring love. Maybe you're just desiring someone to care for you, and you're willing to do whatever wind and wave will take you that direction. Maybe it's success. Whatever that is, think about that in your mind. For me, one of those things is sin and shame. And those are always kind of in unison. And one wave hits and then the other wave hits. I sin and I go, man, I can't believe I did that. And then the wave of shame comes and says, wow, you don't deserve to be a pastor. How can you go up and tell people about Jesus when you just got moved by that wave I go you know what you're right and I got hit by another wave of sin and I get hit by another and at certain points sometimes you just kind of lean into it you say this is where I am now and you end up drifting so far away from God you don't know which way is up and you don't know how to get back um our, our author of our book tonight is Paul. And Paul wrote something in Romans that sounds a lot like drifting and getting hit by waves and being moved back and forth. And it's one of my favorite things because Paul is like such a great um, person. He does so much for the kingdom of God. And in Romans 7:15, you get a picture of what it's like inside of his head. And he says, for I don't understand my own actions. Me too, Paul. And he says, for I, don't, I, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. And he's kind of this like, he's just, man, I, I, I'm not doing the things I do want to do. And I'm doing the things that I don't want to do. And he can see where he wants to go. He can see the umbrella. He can see the end of the beach that he wants to be at. But he goes, the, the, I, I can't get there. I don't know how to get back there. And I think that's a lot of us. So when he writes to the Corinthians, this is a church that has their messed up stuff all on display. And Paul knows himself enough to know that you need to have a healthy fear of these waves. You need to have a healthy fear of what's going on. You need to know that you're capable. You're prone to the drift. So how do we stop the drift? So 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is where we're going to be. It should be up on the screens in just a minute. And you can actually open your Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, and go to events and see some notes on there potentially. And um, that's a great app if you're looking to read God's word. Um, but a little bit about 1 Corinthians. I mentioned it a second ago, but Corinthians is a, is a church that Paul helped start, got some people involved, and then kind of backed back out of because he was going on some other missionary journeys, and he's getting letters about some of the things that they're involved with, and there were some people that were involved that came in and say, hey, you know what? Really, you can do whatever you want sexually, and they were like, yeah, that sounds great, and then there were some people that came in and said, hey, some of the things that you believe about God that Paul taught you, yeah, that's not necessarily true. You can kind of do whatever you want. And honestly, since you have it figured out, you're actually better than them. So there was this idea of like, we can do whatever we want. How do you, how do you reconcile somebody who's messing up really bad sexually with someone who's really arrogant? And, and that's really the word that I would use to describe what they have going on is that they had a lot of sin. They had a lot of stuff. And they were arrogant about it. They, don't even, they didn't even have a certain amount of shame to what they did. They went, I kind of like this. So when you read 1 Corinthians, it's 14 chapters of Paul just going, hey, it's not this. It's this. You can't be doing this. That's against what God's word has to say. That's not consistent with who he is through the whole chapter and verse of the Bible. That's not who Jesus was. Can I tell you exactly what he would say? Can I show you what he taught me? Can I show you what his apostles taught me? Can I show you what... And he, he kind of walks them through 14 chapters, some really specific things. And then he gets to chapter 15, and it's like he kind of flips things and changes it. And this is the last verse in the chapter until he kind of switches and gets to the, almost one of the last, it is the last chapter in chapter 16. And this is what it says. It says, First Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers. So when he says brothers, he's talking to believers. These are people that would have called themselves Christians. These are people that, people that for 14 chapters, he's laying into and going, guys, this is the way to live. He tells them, given what I just said, be steadfast. And when he says the word steadfast, another version, if you have the New International Version, it's going to say, stand firm. And the idea there is to be planted, to be rooted to be seated, to, like the idea is what to say to sit. Like I, I have three kids and they're starting to get a little heavy and th- they're pretty good about like when I ask them to come to me, they lift up their arms and they come to me. But sometimes they just crisscross applesauce, make themselves dead weight and it's like, all right, I'm going to grab you however I can and you scoop them up and you're holding them awkward. It's like they've just dead weighted me and now I don't, I'm throwing them over my shoulder. You guys have probably seen me leave church. Um... But the idea is like, hey, know where your footing is. Know what's most important. It's the idea of like, hey, you know what, where you want to build the house, now put the foundation down. You're not going anywhere. Be steadfast, you're not moving, you're decided, you're rooted, you're settled. And he's, the, the, uh, the, the kind of pronoun there is like, hey, you, yourself, be steadfast. Be knowing where you're going to land. And then he says, be immovable. And when he says be immovable, another version is going to say, let nothing move you. So it goes from, hey, you stand firm to don't let the outside things come in and move you around. Now here's what we know. What Paul is not arguing for is that like, hey, because you guys are Christians now, everything, the waves are gonna stop. What he's arguing for is that now that you know Jesus, you have something to hang on to that can make you steadfast and immovable. That immovable word means that things are gonna be hitting you. Things are gonna be changing. You're gonna be pushed and pulled in different directions. It's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. This is the way that God wants you to live, to be immovable, not letting the things around you change you. And this is what's hard is that some of those waves are going to be things that you might think, okay, is this the direction God's taking me? What's what's difficult is even when you read it in the Bible, and what we see now is that that half-truths sound really good. Half-truths rarely promise hurt on the outset like when you read about Adam and Eve and when they were walking and talking with God in the garden of Eden Satan didn't come up and go you know forget about God dude he's who's he he came in and said hey don't you want to be like God don't you want your eyes open and he went that sounds good sure and it was a wave that pushed them in a direction that they didn't intend to go And they were fine with it because they weren't steadfast, they weren't immovable, they weren't hanging on to anything greater than themselves. When Satan tempts Jesus in his ministry, he doesn't come in and say, hey, Jesus, you know what would be way more fun? Hitting all these nerds with paintball guns. He comes in and he says, hey, you know what would be fun? Ruling the world. Standing on top of this and owning everything, and you could do it. And sometimes I've read that and gone, could Jesus have done that and it not have been sin? That it's like, it's really close to the truth, and it's not the truth. And what did Jesus answer with? He answered with something that was foundational, truth. What God had him hold on to in those moments were not, I mean, that doesn't sound bad. It was, okay, what does God's word say? So what do we do? Because the struggle for us is, man, half-truths sound really good, until I realized what was behind it. I didn't realize I was being pushed in a direction, I just didn't see it coming. You've tried the struggle of like, man, I realize that on my own, I'm drifting in the direction. And I don't really know how to get back there, so maybe it's about being more disciplined. And you end up being more disciplined and you're like, that helps a little bit, but it, it didn't reconnect me with God in the way that I thought it would. Or maybe you you, you try a little something and you try a little thing that you're like, maybe this is the thing, maybe this is what I need to hold on to, and you end up coming short and going, what is it that's actually going to help me? And I think we have to look at the first word in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This is an old pastor's line that I've heard a long time ago, but the first word there is therefore. And when you see a therefore in the Bible, you go back and you see what it's there for. That he's... Telling them something that can anchor them to something greater than themselves. That can anchor them back to God. So I'm going to give you a once over of what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. Now remember, he's stacking up all of these things. Hey, don't do this. Do this. Hey, live this way. Don't live that way. And it probably feels like a lot of rules. And even to think about it where they were, it was a slow drift. They had people that wrote them letters. Hey, it's okay to do that. Okay, that sounds not too terrible. And they ended up doing things they never dreamed of. But look at what he, what he talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 1 and 2. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's not just saying, hey, find something that you can attribute to be truth. He's saying, hold fast to the gospel of Jesus, to the fact that you realize that you were broken people, that there was nothing that you could do to bring you a little bit closer to the umbrella and the beach towels. There's nothing that you can do to see Jesus on the shore and go, yeah, I want that, but Jesus saw us not just drifting but drowning and said, I will come and save you. And he offered a lifeline and it was the person of Jesus who had never done any drifting himself. And he said, I will come and I will deal with the consequences of your drift so that you can be back together with your father. he says, that's what you hold on to. he says, hold fast. And the idea there is to hold it close and tight. Here's what I think we miss sometimes. This is, this is just a rope, um, obviously. Um, but uh, um, on ships and boats, they use what's called a mooring line. And a mooring line isn't just a rope on a boat. A mooring line has a specific purpose. And a lot of times, what a mooring line has, this is just a, a rope, but what a mooring line has is uh, kind of a, a loop at the end. And the idea is, that when you find something immovable, you take a mooring line and you take something movable like a boat and you find a cleat on that thing. You find something that's sticking up a little bit and you put it through and you hold it tight. The idea of a mooring line is to anchor something movable to something immovable. And that's what he's telling them to hold fast to. To get close to what they can with the gospel and say, I I need this every day. Jesus is the immovable thing in your heart and in your life. And I have some things that I think are are mooring lines for you. But before we get into it, what I don't want you to do is go, it's all about this. It's all about serving. It's all about praying. And we end up Leaving the immovable object and going, I've been praying a lot, but we left Jesus behind. Man, I've been serving. I've been doing it. My I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying it. I'm trying to serve for the first time. I'm trying to know God's word, and we end up hanging on to something that's not connected to anything. Because those actions, apart from the immovable work of Jesus Christ, are Nothing. What we need is a mooring line connecting us to the things that are immovable. It's an anchor. Here's the first thing we have to do. We have to acknowledge that we are prone to move. You have to acknowledge that you're prone to move. Why would I ever, if I was on a boat on a lake, why would I ever come up to a dock and say, I need to tie a mooring line? If it's wild and the waves are crashing I'm going to go, man, I need this right away because I'm going to move away from the dock. But if I come in and it's like glass and nothing's ever wrong, why do I need to do that? When we first came in, I said, hey, think about those waves in your life. What are the things that are happening in your heart and in your life that we can focus on the waves, we can think about what it is that's going on in our lives and we can go, okay, it's so hard, it's so difficult. Those are the things that are going to start the drift. So I have four things that are like mooring lines in our hearts. Mooring lines to the immovable work of Jesus. The first one's God's word. We have to know God's word. We have to be anchored to truth. We have to be anchored to God's love letter to us to know who he says we are, who he says our friends are, who he says he is. Because if it's just my opinion, my opinion goes left and right all the time, and it's not good. If it's just my thoughts, my thoughts will run me all over the place. But when it's God's word, and when I see a wave coming, it's not about the mooring line, it's about my proximity to the thing that's immovable. Why do I read God's word? Because I, I need to be tethered to Jesus. I need it. I need to hold on tight, and I need it to be close. So when I read God's word, I go, Jesus, where are you in it? God, I need you. I need to find out your character. We can read it and go, God, i tried. But we left the immovable thing behind. The second thing is community. And again, you have to invite it in. You have to hope for it. You have to intentionally look someone in the eye and say, hey, I'm prone to see a wave coming and kind of lean into it and let it take me a little bit because it feels good for a minute. I kind of start moving fast and I kind of enjoy the way it feels. If we make community our God, we're going to miss it. But when community tethers us to Jesus, and we hold on to it tightly because Jesus is what we need, we can be the friend that we need to be to other people. We can ask for that help from the people around us. The third mooring line is service. Look at the end of 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. It says, be steadfast, be immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what that means? Don't stop serving Jesus. Why? Because we're never more like Jesus than when we're doing what he asked us to do. It's tying the tether tight and saying I serve because it makes me the most like Jesus that I'll ever be. I'm serving because it's close to the heart of my God. And not going, man, serving's going to make me look good to that girl. It's not tethered to anything. Jesus said to to his disciples in Matthew 20, 28 when he's washing their feet at the Last Supper, he told them, The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. How dare I come into any scenario and look to be served? God himself showed up and went, yeah, I'm gonna get down on my hands and knees and wash his feet. What would your life look like if you changed your relationships to serve the people around you? What would your life look like if you said, man, I just... Want the people around me to be served by me, and not look for what I can get out of them. What if your thought process on church changed from "I'm going to come and I'm going to listen and I'm going to receive, and if the music's good, I might raise my hands and I might give a little bit" if uh, if the missions conference is really good? What if you came in and said, "Man, I want to serve God with my time. I want Him to have every part of me. I want to serve Him not just with my time, but with my wallet." I want to serve him with my mind. I want to think of ways that I can spur on the people around me to good works. And the last mooring line is your story. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, Paul was go on, going on telling these people, hey, it's about the resurrection of Christ. He's the one who changes everything. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, he says, for I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Apostle, But because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You know what that is? That's a mooring line. That's a rope that keeps you tied tightly to say, Man, it's not me. It's Jesus. Paul said later, if there's anything good in me, it's Christ. Is that your attitude? Is that how you think of your story? The rope isn't security all by itself. If you've ever been on a boat, when they throw the anchor overboard, The boat keeps moving. They pull the rope in and there's nothing on it. It doesn't do any good. The only goodness of those ropes are the immovable thing that it's attached to. So believer, I'm gonna ask you tonight, what makes you steadfast and immovable? Is it your ability? Is it your long standing track record with God? Is it the fact that everything looks really good on the outside? Or is it that you are anchored to the person of Jesus Christ for everything? Lastly, maybe you're here and you'd say, I'm not drifting, I'm sinking. I don't know about this Jesus thing. I I don't even know where the umbrella and the beach is at. I feel like I'm so far out at sea I don't know how to find my way back. I want you to read 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and this is what he says right before he says, so therefore be steadfast and immovable. And on verse 51 he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, he means die forever. He says, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of of an eye, at the last trumpet. When time is over, When Jesus is ready to come back, things will change. He says, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Not dying, not drifting. He says, and we shall be changed for this perishable body. And think about who he's talking to. People that are doing things that are ravaging their bodies. He says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body that they would have understood death. And he said, this mortal body must put on immortality. In what he said earlier, that it's Jesus. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you feel like you're sinking, the only thing that is going to take away the eternal sting of that drift is the person of Jesus Christ. went and found you however far away you might be or however close you might perceive yourself Jesus is standing ready willing and able to save you having done every bit of work I haven't went swimming back to the shore one bit one inch one centimeter Jesus did all of the work and he's ready to put you back where you belong in relationship with the father have you done that I'm going to ask you to bow your heads.